Hi, I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And this week, on This Week with Larry Miller, I tell you what it's like several times to be in a giant star's trailer on a movie set when they like you enough so they give it to you when he's not there. It just so happens it has the Playboy Channel, too. That's on LarryMillerPodcast.com. We'll see you here. This is Corolla Digital. Hello, my little overripe bananas. It's me, Allison. Welcome to another episode before the show officially starts. I believe we have time. There it is again, me saying I believe we have time. I always believe we have time. You know what I'm going to say right before I die? I believe we have t- Anyway, uh, we have an iTunes comment of the week, right, Gary? Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments. And don't forget to click five stars. All right. Our iTunes comment of the week this week comes from Anthony Jakubison. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I love that, and whether you're mispronouncing it or not. And it's titled, Great Podcast and Ducklings Are Adorable. Thank you for creating authentic and interesting podcast material that is head and shoulders above 99% of all others. Oh, Three questions. How do you maintain such poise when guests or Adam say something that is completely wackadoodle or with which you may strongly disagree? You always seem so uh, so composed and cool that it is admirable. Uh, two, would you be willing to play some of your b- past band's music on the podcast? And three, what are your thoughts on a... Dat- on a what kind of dog is that? Dachshund. Oh, okay. A dachshund? A or, wiener dog. Or a tiny or other tiny leg dogs. Um, good questions. I should, have an- I should have done this comment on a show where I'm going to answer questions. So let me quickly say, um, thank you for saying I seem composed. I, uh, you know, mostly I just wait for my turn to speak and I don't listen to anyone else. That's not true at all. I, uh, you know, I've, sometimes I vocally disagree with something. And sometimes I just decide it's easier not to. I, um, you know, it depends. Like on, yeah, it just depends. That's what I would say. It's not, but, but thank you. I have more to say on this, but this moment is not the time. But I will address this in a future, in a future episode. Um, and then the second question, yes, I will play some of my band's music. I have done that before, but I could get back into doing that. And then three, I enjoy dogs with small legs because I like – my favorite thing is when a dog with a small leg is being walked by someone who is, also has a dog that is more – regular size because then the dog with the little legs has to um, run really fast to keep up and they they blur and I think that's super cute okay but thank you for your comment if you would like your comment to be an iTunes comment of the week then just send us a comment click five stars that's our favorite number okay before the show starts I want to tell you about our good friends over at go to my PC let's say you are at the airport which is where Daniel is right now. Or you could be in line at a coffee place. You could be uh, in a hula contest. You could be in a conga line. You could be on some kind of island. Or you could be in a hot tub. And you're telling someone about something that's on your computer, and then you want to show them, and you're like, ah, crap, I can't get to my computer from here. But now you can. With GoToMyPC, you can get to your home or your office computer from anywhere using your Mac, PC, tablet, or smartphone 
Recently, we were talking about how we were wished we could teleport. It's almost like you can teleport with Go to My PC. You can use any program. You can edit or send any file just as if you were sitting at your desk. It saves so much time, and it is so efficient, and it cuts down on the frustration that you feel, or at least I feel it, when I'm like, ah, damn it, that thing is on that thing that's over there, and I'm here, and what am I going to do? You don't want to have to go through that. That's why you need to go to my PC. Try it free today with a special 45-day free trial just for my listeners. That's you guys. Visit gotomypc.com. Click on the Try It Free button and enter the promo code Allison. Then you download the free app to your mobile device. That's gotomypc.com. Try it free. Promo code Allison. Also, I want to tell you guys about Hulu+. Plus. So you've tried streaming hit shows on your PC on Hulu.com. Everyone knows Hulu.com. But now it's time to start a free trial of exclusive content in your living room and on your mobile device with Hulu+. Plus. Um, you can use Hulu Plus on connected TVs, games, consoles, Blu-ray players, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or you can watch anywhere on your smartphone or your tablet on demand at all times. That is my favorite aspect of it. I was just talking to my friend the other day, and we were talking about that feeling when you wake up in the morning and you don't want to hop in the shower. You just want to watch one of your favorite programs and how you can actually while away quite a bit of time. And with Hulu Plus, you can binge watch your favorite shows. So if you're going to while away time... Being immersed in a world that is perhaps better than the one that you're facing. I don't mean to be so dramatic. I'm just saying let's think we've all lost ourselves in shows. Then Hulu Plus is what you need. They have all sorts of amazing shows. Perhaps you need to catch up on Downton Abbey or Once Upon a Time or Gossip Girl, New Girl, The Office, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, The Mindy Project. I could go on. It's only $7.99 a month. But right now, they're offering an extended free trial of Hulu Plus that is only available to podcast listeners. That's you guys. Here's how you get it. Go to AllisonRosen.com and click the Hulu Plus banner for your extended free trial or go to HuluPlus.com slash Allison. Again, click on the Hulu Plus banner at AllisonRosen.com. It's right there. I just put it on. So you can't miss it. It jumps out at you. It says, click me, click me. I heard it. It was saying that. Again, click the Hulu Plus banner at AllisonRosen.com. Or go to HuluPlus.com slash Allison. Okay, here it is, the episode with Liz Winstead. I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, she is someone that I've looked up to for a while. And, well, as you'll hear, I was a little intimidated at first. But then very fast I realized, no need to be because she's super nice. Um, and we talked about all sorts of stuff. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Also, also ringtone. Um, you can get the... The Hey Hey The Fuck Yourself Ringtone is available now. You can search just search Hey Go Fuck Yourself. People say really? Fuck? And I say, Yep. But uh in the iTunes store they you know, they clean it up. But uh but you can search it and find it from your iPhone. You have to use your iPhone to get it from the iTunes store. Um and then uh then Think how much happier you'll be when your phone rings or when you get a text. Okay. I love you guys. Here's the episode. Allison Rosen. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison. Friend. 
Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I'm here with Liz Winstead, which is very exciting. I admire you so much. And I was saying to Gary as I was walking in that I'm a little bit intimidated by you. But you seem you're so nice. So now I realize I don't need to be. No, no, I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm much more um, reasonable than one might think. But I can also be a incredible bitch. Hmm. <laughs> but, but you really have to provoke me. Oh, yeah. What are the main things that would bring about the bitchiness? Because I'm going to avoid them. Yeah, you know what? You're not going to bring them up. Generally, it's uh, generally if you just have no regard for um, reality when it comes to being a politician or a person in charge of shit or part of a religion. Um, if you talk about sex or the environment in any other context other than science, I kind of hate <laughs> you. So I have a feeling that you're none of those things. Yeah, I, I don't think I am. In fact, on the... Well, see, now I'm going to get topical for a moment, yes. although I'm not sure exactly when this is going to air, but um, soon enough. So on the way here, I was listening to the radio uh, to a – it was a conservative guy, and he and his callers were talking about how obviously what happened was the uh, – you know, Jahar, the the Boston bomber who's alive, he was sort of radicalized in college – it was obviously the professor and it was all these liberal ideas. And so you take a guy who's kind of young and then you expose him to all these ideas. And so it's just a perfect storm. And I was thinking, so you're you, person who complains that liberals are always blaming us. You're blaming us for what happened. Yeah, now they blame us. Here's the thing. It's always like he went to college and he was radicalized by liberals. And it's like, really? Because if he was radicalized by liberals... Wouldn't he just be getting laid all the time? Like, and <laughs> right. that's and being a drunk. And I just feel like, you know what? I've been thinking about this, and I think that my gay brothers and sisters and my sisters, we need to start blowing more loners. Yes. Because I think that loners need to get more blowjobs because, you know, they it's it's because you know there was this guy Tony Perkins from this organization called the Family Research Council, and I hate them. I'm there. They're on the top of my. Oh my God, shut the fuck up list of, mm-hmm. of Christian right assholes. And they blamed um, the bombing before, of course, we heard anything on the fact that it was liberal sexual values that <laughs> right. drove, drove these guys to blow shit up. And I'm like, okay, really? Because I don't know people who are, if you're getting laid a lot, you're not blowing anything up. You're so no. happy, you're getting laid. So this is my new thing is that we need to like just find some loners and get in some action. Right. Is that wrong? No, I think that's good, and I think it's smart. Here's the thing, though. I'm thinking of the loners who most need um, a blowjob, and I'm trying to figure out how attractive they are. Because I know and there's a greater good here, yeah. so that shouldn't come into play. But some of them are pretty atrocious. Well, I'm not saying go blow that guy in the white T-shirt with the hair coming out of the back that we know so well. Right. Um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, for example, he doesn't get any blowjobs. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, heading him up the past, just paying attention to the shy ones who keep to themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, you don't – I think you just got to give it up. I think you got to give it up. I think that's good. Yeah. I think this message will catch on, and it needs to catch on. So you're out here on your book tour. Yes? I am. It's the release. I have. I had a book come out last year, and then it came out. In pa- it's coming out in paperback. That would be Liz Free or Die. Liz Free or Die. Now with new material, says right on the cover. That's right. It does. Two exclamation points. So you yes. know it's true. So you know it's true. And yeah. So I was here for the L.A. Book Festival. How was that? Uh, it was really fun. I got to do a panel with Kelly Oxford mm-hmm. and Ophira Eisenberg and um, Heather. McDonald, where we talked uh, about books and 
being chicks and it's hard being a chick. No, and it was fun. <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah, we had a good time. We just talked. We we're all kind of um, on different levels of um, inappropriateness. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people talk. I don't talk a lot about sex uh, in my book. I talk more about um, just getting fucked over, just trying to have a voice in the world and how it was incredibly hard to have just people go, no, you're supposed to grow up and be a mom and do all this shit. And I was like, but I I don't necessarily enjoy that. Even as a kid, like I wasn't necessarily a tomboy, but I just like, I got like, you know, I got a ba- Did you get a baby doll when you were little? Oh, yeah. Okay. So they give you a baby doll and it comes with two accessories. It comes with a bottle and then it comes with a diaper. Mm-hmm. And the fun part, I guess, is that you give it the bottle and then it pees, and then right. and then you change the diaper, and that's that's kind of then you do it again, <laughs> right? And again and again, and you're supposed to never get bored. And so I was instantly bored after one time thinking this isn't fun at all, but then I realized if you took the bottle <laughs> and put it where it peed, you could also make it barf. <laughs> so thinking I was inventive and being this really creative child. Uh, I ran into my mother with a doll, like aunt, like with a bottle in the doll's vagina. And my mom, I thought I was going to be greeted with, oh, my God, my daughter's so innovative. Instead, I was greeted with, oh, my God, my daughter needs psychoanalysis. And and from that point on, I was just, my mother would always look at me with this sort of, the way you look at a dog that drags its like gland across mm-hmm. the carpet, like, oh, you're kind of grossing me out with your <laughs> plans. So, yeah. So, you know, I just was kind of a troublemaker i just didn't want to be bored Mm -hmm. and then here i am the funny thing is i wonder in real life if that would work because obviously the bottle wouldn't shoot out but you still might throw up no if you took it does work if you take the squirt bottle um it it, the hole of the doll was as big as the hole of the mouth no i mean i'm a real life person oh you mean yeah oh i suppose i never did try that on a real baby um, I was probably kept away from babies once right. displaying that I thought this might be fun to do. No, it would not work. Mm-mm. I think all you would do. But the, baby, but the baby might throw up. The baby might throw up or hemorrhage. Yeah. yeah. So it's probably yeah. best not to try yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I would just advise not. Yeah. Now you, um, you in, in your book. Okay. Here's where I have to give another disclaimer or a, I don't know if I've given a disclaimer yet. No, I have. Here's another one. Um, I have read. The I've read half of your book, okay, because uh, I did not get it in time to read the whole thing. That's but okay. I am loving it. But so here's the thing: some of my questions are going to have like a weird specificity, Great. and then some of them it'll be like, well, but I answered that much later in the book. Okay, just warning you. All right, it'll be like that conversation you have with someone at a party at the early part of the party where you're like bonding over a lot of things, and then later they come up to you and they're drunk and they ask you, "What do you do?" and you're like. We just already talked about all of that. But, you know, it's so much better to go, God, you know what? I didn't really get to all your book because I have, like, dealt with people who clearly didn't get to any of the book. And then they they, – but they pretend they have. And so right. then they ask questions like, so how would your parents feel about the book? And it's like, um, they're dead. <laughs> and Seriously. It's like, oh, my God. You really didn't – this is odd. Yeah. You know, or, you know, they'll say things like – they're just sort of crazy. So good. So you, you get a free pass for honesty. Thank and I you. don't expect you to read the whole thing anyway. Well, no, but I want to because I Bless want to you. find out what happens. So you identified in yourself that you did not like babies, like very young. Very young. And you're the youngest of five. Five. Do you 
think that is why. Because here's the thing. I did have one of those baby dolls, and there's pictures of um, my mom nursing my younger sister and then me, like, you know, holding the doll up to my little four-year-old bosom and pretending to nurse. And I think the whole reason – the reason I was given the doll, the reason they had those dolls that pooped or, you know, that were – they soiled the diapers and the and the whole thing was well I want to be like my mom yeah and she has a real baby so I'm gonna have my little baby doll yeah which was weird because my mom like being the youngest of five kids and then they would constantly give you toys that were so you could emulate mom mm-hmm. like an ironing board <laughs> right or an oven I mean basically every toy was something my mother was quietly sobbing over <laughs> right. and so I was like I want nothing to do with any of this and i'm sure part of it was i was i'm like from this huge catholic family and then the youngest and then the youngest by six years and first of all that's just weird Mm -hmm. that there's six years between my next sibling and me in a catholic family it's like what happened with those six years we're always kind of wondering like where what happened there do you have any theories oh you know maybe there was some you know i don't know philandering-ish behaviors Mm. going on or something because what guy just isn't having sex for six years who's married? Right. Like, what are the odds? And my mom was, like, one of those no birth control Catholic ladies, like, and, in church every day kind of person. And sounds like she was quite fertile as well. And quite fertile. Quite fertile. And so, I yeah, plus you just try to get a word in edgewise. It's not happening. Yeah. So I think I was just searching for some place to be able to complete a sentence when I – I don't know that I was like, I need to be a comedian. I just needed to say something and have somebody not interrupt me. And I ended up – in comedy. Well, then you just get interrupted by drunks. So, like, <laughs> it was kind of a lose in a weird way. Um, something I thought was so interesting is you were talking about uh, when you started doing stand-up and you – at a certain point you noticed that when you would say, I think, in yeah. front of part of a joke – and these were – they weren't political jokes no. – you would have a, a certain reaction. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was just kind of going about my business, doing my act. And then I noticed that my act started um, – all of a sudden the jokes weren't doing as well as they used to. And sometimes they would just bomb. Same jokes that had been super consistent for years. And so I started recording my act. Am I losing energy? Am I missing like some crucial part of the material? And I realized that I went from saying, um, I feel – Male Great Dane should have to wear underwear in public, let's say, was one of my silly jokes, (laughs) to I think male Great Dane should have to wear in public. And when I started asserting myself and saying I think, even about stupid shit, um, the audience felt like, whoa, you you think? We we didn't pay for thinking. (laughs) We didn't pay for thinking. You know, we like you better when you're being self-deprecating. And the audience, I realized, would like me if I was kind of like – taking myself on or um, was self-deprecating. And so when I started to just be a little bit more affirmative in my stage show by saying, I think, um, people got bristly. And then I was like, okay, this is really weird. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I'm going to say I think, I should say I think about something that's maybe interesting. And so I kind of just a little bit started – Going down a path of self-exploration a little bit more and then I had some crazy epiphany um, on a blind date that kind of changed everything about how I wrote jokes and told jokes and took me on a totally different political path. And what was the epiphany? Well, the epiphany – did you not get to the epiphany part Mm -hmm. of the book? Okay. So here's what happened. Um, I always have been like a liberal. That's my politics. Um, 
But I never really talked about it in my act. And so I moved to New York in 1990. And, like, it was early 1991, January. And a friend of mine set me up on a blind date with this guy. And so I was like, all right. Oh, you'll really like him. I think you have a lot in common. And I, I was like, okay. So he calls me. And I, and he's like, so what do you think? You wanna, What do you want to do? And I was like, well... They're playing La Dolce Vita at the film forum, and I've never seen it on the big screen. And for those that don't know La Dolce Vita, it's this cool old Italian film. And it's in, and he goes, well, isn't that in black and white? Like, that was a detriment? <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, I should just say no. And But I'm from Minnesota, so I have to go, oh, I committed to the date, so I got to go. <laughs> so um, he picks me up, and he's wearing a Yankees hat and a Yankees satin jacket. And A, I hate the Yankees. I'm from Minnesota. And B, I trust no guy who wears two pieces of sports memorabilia yeah. at once. I just – my theory is they won't go down on you. It's just a theory, but I No, think it's like it's like a man I layering right. his sense. It's a problem. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got Johnny Yankees. This is a bummer. And so we go to the movie and he keeps falling asleep. And he keeps rubbing his satin Yankees jacket up and down, reminding me that he's sleeping. And I'm more annoyed <laughs> and I'm more annoyed. And so I take my greasy popcorn hand and I finally just like purposely like push him away and purposely stained his probably really expensive mm-hmm. satin Yankees jacket and then felt good for about a second. And then I felt awful because I'm from Minnesota. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> this is real bad. Now I got to either have sex with them or buy him a drink or something. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, after the movie's over and he kind of wakes up. And I'm like, do you want to go for a drink and talk and talk about the movie? And I was like, talk about the movie? Like the parts he was awake for? It looks stupid. <laughs> so he goes, hey, I know a sports bar. I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> so we walk a couple blocks to the sports bar, but it's winter, so I think I'm off the hook. So we sit down at the bar, and it's the night of the first Gulf War. And it's this huge TV on at the sports bar, and everyone is gathered around watching it. And it was the first time that America had watched a war break out in their own living room. And it was live, and there was a theme song, and there were all these graphics, mm-hmm. and there was a green light, and all these hot people had somehow replaced all the anchors. <laughs> and I remember just thinking to myself, for no reason other than my observations, are they reporting on a war or trying to sell me a war? And the second I thought that, Johnny Yankees was like, this is so cool. And I thought, oh, my God, how many people are watching this war going up? This is a video game. This is amazing. And from that point forward, I was like, holy shit. Have they been doing this all the time and I just haven't noticed? Are they constantly manipulating me on the news? And so I just started paying more attention. And as the war unfolded, I became obsessed with the media coverage and then I just started paying attention to all the other media coverage and the other stories and and I was like, wow, there is a lot of bullshit here. And so <laughs> I just kind of changed everything in my act to kind of be responding to media reaction to big events, where they get it right, where they get it wrong, and politics in general. And then, um, yeah, went to the races. Do you think that they always had been or do you think that was sort of a special moment? I think they had been more at that point – it's weird because at that point, CNN was the only cable network. And then it was 1991. So if you'll remember, you're, how old are you? 12? <laughs> you're very uh, thank you. No, I'm 37. Okay. So at that point, it was like all the daytime shows were like Maury Springer and every, there was Jenny Jones. All, there was a zillion incarnate yeah. Dennis Prager, these people who like went off into the ether. And then at night, 
it was all these news magazines that were like Dateline and and 48 Hours. And it was basically scaring the shit out of you. You mm-hmm. know, if they could find three instances where a mattress fell off some kind of truck and killed somebody, mm-hmm. then it was an epidemic. And it was like, your mattress, what you don't know, right. might kill you. What you don't know about your morning cup of coffee. Might kill you. They <laughs> would elderly attack. You know, it was just like insane <laughs> over and over and over again. And so it was – we were just being scared and having shit – like we were just dumbed down. And then when the Gulf War happened, I think what I observed anyway was, you know, then they used it as this like big emotional tool. So then it was just like all these generals came out of the woodwork. They had so many generals. And then when the war started winding down, I was thinking to myself, what are they going to do? Like how are they going to keep people ratcheted up? And two or three days after – the Gulf War was declared over, the Rodney King thing happened. Oh, yeah. People forget that. And so immediately they launched into these the race riots and all this stuff, but they didn't really tackle like where are we at as a society with race. It was just like these big exploitive, you know, fighty battles. And then it just became the trial of the century of the week. And the media just kind of ran on the baby shaking nanny and Jeffrey Dahmer and the mm-hmm. Menendez and Heidi Fleiss. OJ. OJ. That went on and on and on and basically until 9-11. So it's kind of like – and then you had MSNBC come down the pike and then Fox come down the pike. And so in the middle of that kind of heightened state of holy shit, there really isn't any news on it. It's just all this weird exploitive stuff um, is when Comedy Central said – we want to do a new show. Do you want to help do it since you've been responding to all this shit? And I said, yeah. But the key for me, if we do it, I think the show should be a character. Like I think that, you know, they've had Weekend Update and Laugh-In and all these shows. But if the show looks like the news then we use all the conventions of the news and we don't crack, I think that that will be a different way to do it. And they were like, okay. So they gave us a year with no pilot or anything. And they just allowed us to run and develop the show. And so The Daily Show was born back then. Like So from the time I went to the movie with that creepy guy in 1991 and then cut to 1995 when the development of The Daily Show started, there was four years of just this kind of pustule boiling full of just abject stupidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so your comedy like rapidly changed though, right? The yeah. types of jokes you were doing and the yeah. types of stuff. What was the reaction to that at the time? Oh, my God. At first – People were just so annoyed. You know, they would kind of like when you could talk about Clarence Thomas, for example, because there was pubic hair in a Coke can. You know, <laughs> there was like all sorts of fun period things. But if you try to get into the politics of these assholes who, again, were just all these moralistic freaks holding it, you must have been inspired by the exorcist with your pubic hair. And it's like, what? So the people didn't like going deeper into the politics because they just didn't mm-hmm. care. And so I would struggle a lot with trying to combine some criticism that was actually real and, and and about issues and then some of the period nature. I mean, like, you know, nobody cared about that presidential race until Jennifer Flowers came and said, oh, look at me. He went down on me like a champ. And then people were like, Bill Clinton, who's that? And then, uh, you know, <laughs> and so thank God she came forward because I'm not even sure people how much people would have actually cared or how right. much attention it would have gotten at that point on, you know, the one and only news channel. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, oh, lost my train of thought. You know why? Because I was I was thinking. Because I was mesmerizing with my stories. That's right. I was hypnotized, <laughs> and I was yes. hanging out every word. I know my genius does that to people. It scares them. 
It must be a curse, right? Yeah, it is. Having that effect yeah. on everyone. It's re- yeah, it's really a curse when you're on the radio and you render people silent. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Going back to the um, the I think thing, do you feel or do you think that because you're a woman, people were less inclined to be okay with you having thoughts? I mean, I, th- I think part of it back then was, yeah. But I just think part of it also is that people just didn't – they just were didn't want to know. And I think they wanted to check out. Mm-hmm. And I think that still can be a problem. And I think that if you can be funny and then slip in stuff, um, great. I think that part of it for me was I think I as I learned more and became more frustrated, I think there was also a learning curve for me to figure out how to remain funny – and not just be so riddled with anger that nobody's talking about this shit mm. um, that I think oftentimes I might have, like myself even, said something that was maybe um, insightful or um, pointing out some hypocrisy. But I maybe didn't make it as funny as it should have been. And so I think I had a role in it. I think that um, the the boredom of society had a role in it. And I think that um, – um, being a woman had a role in it. Yeah. Do you think that it's um, – sorry, I don't mean to ask such uh, like um, such gendered questions because I know that when I – like I've done panels and things where all the questions are like these super like women in comedy and digital media things. Oh, and yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I don't think of it that way, but I'm going to ask one anyway. No, that's okay. Um, do you feel like it's gotten better for women now? Like do you think that, that – it's more okay for a woman to say, like, I think a great day to wear a diaper now. Yes, I do. I mean, I think that as we have progressed, it, you know, old sexist guys have just kind of, like, worked their way out of the – they're retiring, basically. And so, you know, women and guys have come up together in developing comedy and writing comedy and stand-up and everything. And I think it's it's much more meritocratous than it ever was before. And so, you know, it's kind of like it's jarring when somebody says women aren't funny. You know, when I'm going to give Adam a finger wagging himself, <laughs> um, especially since I work for him on the man show. It's like, dude, you know. So I think um, I well, think he'll explain. I, I know. suspect that he needs, he, I know. it was taken out of context. Like he didn't. Right. He didn't it's say taken women. Out of yeah, OK. He yeah. didn't say women. He said he didn't say women aren't funny. I think he said men are funnier. <laughs> yeah, whatever he said. But you know what? It's like I, I was like so jarred because I love him. And so I was like, yeah. Adam, you realize women who love you now have to be mad at you. Mm-hmm. You realize that. So but it's um, it's for, for me, for me, it's it's such a dumb thing to even say about anyone, because when it comes to the whole gender thing, it's like, are women getting paid to be funny? Yes. Do they fill up Madison Square Garden? Yes, they do. Um, does that mean everyone thinks they're funny? No. Is that okay? Yes. You know, there is no – I don't expect everyone to think I'm funny at all. I would I would, I'm, I would, would hope that we've evolved to a place where they go, Ugh, Liz Winston is a hack only because they don't like my jokes, mm-hmm. not because it's um, – because I'm a woman. And it's just like, you know, every time there's somebody who says something controversial, anytime there's some kind of thing, I'm always called. Like, when is it okay to say the C word? I'm like, you know what? It's if you can get away with saying the C word, uh, people are going to get mad at you if you say the C word, if you talk about rape. There's always going to be people who choose to 
to judge what you say in a context. And I've always said, um, if if I don't find it funny, I'll say I don't find it funny. But if you say it, just own it. Like, at least give yourself some thought. Mm-hmm. Put some thought behind it so you can defend it. Because if you have to apologize for your jokes, it's kind of lame. And I just sort of get bored when people try to use, like, cunt as a shock value word. I'm like... The reason that I don't like it for the most part is that it doesn't really tell me anything. Mm-hmm. It's sort of just kind of an um, bitch on steroids. And so right. that doesn't tell me why you're calling. Like I want to – if you think someone is a C word, I want to know why. Like I want you to be creative and really specific about that because like it's just saying she's a bitch. Well, what does that mean? She's a bitch. I don't right. really just, know any more than I, I just yeah. know that you were kind of lazy and said that instead of, you know. Right. You're just ratcheting up the uh, anger that you have towards this person, but not explaining why at all. Right. And I feel just like. Punch it, it up. Well, yeah. And if you feel like someone is that, like if you're going to go, oh, my God, that person's a cunt. If I were to feel those feelings about somebody, I would want people to know why and I would want them to get on board with mm-hmm. thinking they are too. And just saying that word alone isn't enough. Mm-hmm. It's not enough. It's not enough to get people going down the path. Right. It right? Act- Actually, being called a cunt wouldn't hurt my feelings nearly as much as something more specific. I feel like I'm giving a blueprint to people on how to hurt my feelings, which I do on this show all the time. Um, oh, stop that. I know. Stop doing it. Just no, just don't give anybody a blueprint to hurt you. Don't let people hurt your feelings. You know what it is? It's because I take to heart some of the stupid shit that pe- some of the oh, junk that people say okay. online. Even though the more I'm getting much better at it. Here's the deal. I want this to run through your head constantly. Okay, good. I love new things to run through my head. There's people who don't like chocolate. Okay, I know you said this in your book, and I was yes. like, I need to frame this. I mean, so not everyone's going to like you and they're going to call you stuff. And who cares? I mean, and the good news is if you're not making people have a reaction to you, you're not really doing your job. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're trying to figure out how to make everybody like you, you don't like everybody. No, I certainly don't. Right. So forget it. And then have the people who don't like you tell their friends. Right, good. So then you all tell your friends and go. And then they're awful. And then it makes room for for people to like you. And then you're fine. It's so sane and so smart. Have you always been this way? Have you always felt that way about it? I mean, I think, no. I think when you're younger, you're kind of like, you don't want people to, you you kind of think that there is some, I want to be as broad as possible. Mm-hmm. And it's like, my existence is like, people rape my existence. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like... I just might as well be true to what I think is funny and try to get those people on board. And then if the rest don't like me, I can't. can't, It's too exhausting. If you can find someone who finds you sexually attractive and and then people who think you're funny, like that's a win. And all the other trolls, you know, let them weigh in because Mm -hmm. that's what they do. I mean, I here's here's a classic Twitter conversation that happens to me every day. Some guy will say, um, uh, everybody knows. That God created the earth 6,000 years ago. <laughs> and then I tweet back, well, fire was created 9,000 years ago. And then they tweet back, whore. <laughs> and then I tweet back, you know, I could have 10 cocks in my mouth right now at five bucks a cock. That doesn't make you right. Like, so maybe <laughs> I'm a whore, but you're still wrong. So, like, who cares if I'm a whore? Like, none of this matters. Yeah. And so, I mean, because basically, don't you just get whore 
is like the number one thing. Like, hey, whore, or I hate you. Like, what's the thing that bums you out the most when they when they say things to you? Um, I'm trying to. There's not really any one thing that'll bum me out. Honestly, what the thing that annoys the shit out of me is when someone's like, you said blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that is not at all what I said. Right. You have completely misconstrued my words. You've like taken them, rearranged them, and turned me into someone that I don't like at this point. I was actually trying to say something. Like, it was my fault for saying something that was slightly complex. And I don't even mean very complex. I just mean started one place, then went another place, and then ended up a different place. And they just went with what I started with. Right. And then, like, created a whole narrative and like that actually i i i know some sometimes i feel like well you know what that shouldn't even bother me because that's insane that's not at all what i said but then it just like i think i just want to be understood i want to make sense i want people to to hear what i'm saying and so when they don't it just like i get very frustrated How even I, though i know i have to let that go is this mostly on twitter um, it's Twitter. It's no, it's all the various ways that they, okay. they can communicate with me. First of all, never talk to eggs ever. Oh, I Do know. Do not address an egg. Right. The people you know who don't that, have right? a Twitter picture. No egg mm-hmm. I mean, or pets or eagles. If they have a fucking eagle, yeah. they're usually the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, eagle, egg, pet. I'm, I'm a, a pet can be okay, but right. like literally what are you hiding from? Mm-hmm. Second of all, if they can't, you know, get a bridge game going with the amount of followers they have, <laughs> like- Leave it alone. Like, and and they finally have access to someone. That I is know. it. You know, these are people who can't get, they're, they're on hold at talk radio. Mm-hmm. And then while they're on hold at talk radio, they're tweeting at you and jerking off. And they're, and then, wait, because they work a night job someplace because they're homunculants and no one will hire them <laughs> to work during the day. Yeah. Pretty much. And these are the people that you're like... You didn't understand. They're never understanding. I know. They can't even hear because of the porn on and the jerking off and the con hold music and the tweeting. They're not even focused. Yeah. Right? I know. You're totally right. I have to keep that in mind because what happens is, and I think this is how it is for most people who get bothered by this kind of shit online that's so uh, faceless, is it just becomes one of the voices probably from my past or just, it's this faceless sort of doubting person right. figure in my head and that becomes embodied by that shitty tweet. Right. So, but we have a little thing we like to say to them. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Yeah. It's nice, right? Well, what I like to do is um, I usually just tweet, you seem nice and then retweet them or you seem smart. Yeah. And then they don't know what to do. Or, are you flirting with me? Because they really don't know kind of what to do when you aren't – because basically they're flashers. Yeah. And you should treat them like your mom taught you to when you're walking home from school. If a man shows you his penis, you're supposed to point and laugh. And I think that if you do some version of pointing and laughing and don't take them seriously, it's their worst fear because they're desperately wanting to engage with Anybody who will take them seriously. And think about this, too. It's not like they woke up and you're the person. Think of all the other people they're trying to lure in. Oftentimes you can look at their Twitter timeline and see that. Yes, and they're simply insane. So wait, your mom taught you to point and laugh because mine taught me to just run. My mom said point and laugh. That's good advice. And then run. I think she said run. She must have said run because I've never sauntered away from a <laughs> guy showing me his wiener unless it's been asked for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think the pointing – because they're um, – they want to – you know, they're doing it to threaten you and to make you feel 
like weird and dirty and shameful. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it like the worst balloon animal you've ever seen, <laughs> like this is the worst balloon animal I've ever seen. What a loser. Um, I think that it plays into their whole ugly loserness of wanting to, you know, mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so going back to the. <laughs> I'm, yeah. gonna, I'm sorry. I'm the worst guest. No, ever. you're the best guest. It's, it's, <laughs> it was me because I started talking about how shit makes me feel um, and what okay. shit makes me think. Yes. Good. Uh, one more question about that, actually. When yes. when you were saying, I think, was that before it became political? Was that a conscious decision to not phrase it as I feel? No. Uh, it, it was, was just not. A, it was okay. just all of a sudden as I as it was like I just transitioned into it. And it wasn't until I started recording my act to figure out why these jokes were suddenly weirdly bombing um, that I would play it back and go, oh, man, like. I have now consistently said, I think, and I, and I even that's you even have a different body language. I could even feel as I was listening on the tape, I could feel myself, you know, being I think, and maybe even pointing or being, you know, um, just being more authoritative, authoritative, um, and yeah. So yeah, it was it was, and then, but I never went back to. I never once said, oh, I should go back to saying. I feel. Um, but it was also weird, too, because there was a time, you know, when I am from that totally, like, big-haired 80s <laughs> lady comedy. You know, we all kind of wore old men's vintage jackets and nothing was attractive and big, huge hair and crazy stuff. Uh, but one thing that was so interesting is that it was a badge of honor if you didn't talk about women's things. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I like her. She didn't talk about women things. Where. You know, guys could talk about, you know, waking up with morning wood all day for like their whole act and the audience would love it and roll in the aisles. But if a woman actually like specifically talked about something that was specifically female, um, unless it was about being fat or not wanting to have sex with her husband, um, like it was like, oh, yeah, it's hacky. It's hacky. I hate that. I, I yeah. my very brief uh experiences doing stand-up i was talking to this potential manager guy and i remember he was like okay first rule and i i don't even think he was talking about the stuff that i was doing he just was giving me just a general rule is don't ever talk about dating on stage because it's like that's what all you know female comedians talk about blah, 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 blah. and i thought i i don't feel like it should be that there's i don't i don't like that rule and then there was just too much i just decided i didn't like stand-up really right right for me but and now everybody can talk about it you know, and, yeah. uh, it, you know, whatever dating is now. I don't, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's mostly online, I think. It's mostly just sending dick pics, isn't it? And then going, that seems fine. Have you ever received a dick pic? And by the way, you guys, I don't want any. No, don't. Well, I have. But here's the thing that's crazy is that I don't understand how – I try to be modern. You mm-hmm. know, there's things that are going on. But, you know, a dick pic is, is a by request thing. Like, yeah. you don't send a dick pic on spec. <laughs> like, when I hear these stories of guys that are like, <laughs> like you know, who, Brett Favre, didn't he just kind of go, hey, I'm going to offer up my dick and see what happens. Yeah. And it's like, you want to know what? That is, you don't, you don't just, because, yeah, it, no, whoa. Right. You know, I didn't ask for that to show mm-hmm. up at, you know, my, my kid's confirmation. Like, I, I didn't, <laughs> I don't want to see that. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm saying, hey, show me your, send it. Right. You're send right. Me, send me, please. I'd like to see that. Right. What's the percentage of people who are so ambitious that they send unsolicited dick pics? What's the per- like? How often does that go well? I doubt it goes well often. I would say never. 
I would say that never goes well because first of all, how ma- you, you probably just get a phone number that comes up. So then you're like, um, who is this? <laughs> right. You know, and then it's like, it's Bob. And it's like, Bob, who? You know, I, I just don't know. I mean, I've never gotten one either by mistake. Like, you know, ooh, this was supposed to go to Liz, you know, White House. And that's <laughs> I sent it to Liz. Sorry about the dick pic. Uh, right. Don't tell Sarah I sent it to you. Uh, okay. But, yeah, it's very odd that people would send those. And, and, and quite egomaniacal, actually. It really is. Right? It really is. Have Garrett, you ever gotten an unsolicited? No, I never have. And I'd like to keep it that way. Have you ever way. gotten a solicited? No, you I solicit? Know. I never solicited a dick pic. You don't, you don't swap no. Photographs of yourself via uh-uh. the texting? Mm, no, I don't. And I've also never filmed myself having sex. And I feel a little bit like I'm missing some kind of rite of passage, but I also feel like it's just it's too easy for that shit to go where I don't want it. Well, the dick pic, you just never send your face. Hey, I mean, everybody right, knows that. That's, that's true. like a rule. Yeah. But uh, not that I'm sending my pictures <laughs> to everyone. But, I mean, um, it sounds like you are. It sounds like I am. Yeah. No, I've had long-distance relationships, and sometimes you got to, like, spice it up. But now with face call and stuff, it's kind of different. But I don't understand filming yourself mm-hmm. um, having sex. I feel like I have an old, old friend named Shishi LaRue who is, like, a big, big-time porn film director. Grew up with him from Minneapolis. Um, and we've had this conversation, and he's like, Liz, do you know the amount of lighting – and makeup it takes to make a butthole look good in a movie. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, Larry, because Larry's his real name, not Shishi. And he said, a lot. It takes a lot. He I said, would, obviously, we're think, not yeah. investing in acting talent. We're investing in acting talent who are talented sexually and, and makeup and lighting and all that other stuff. So your movie isn't going to – because here's what I always think. Anybody who's sort of volunteered to make like a homemade sex movie has practiced sex face in the mirror. Of course. And like how embarrassing. I've never done that. That just seems embarrassing to me. Like I could not have sex with somebody who I knew was having like practiced sex face. Yeah. Because I'm sure it, it, just seeing that face is like hideous. Who wants to know? I don't want to know what I look like. I, I don't like accidentally discovering a mirror somewhere no. that – like oh I, that was at a restaurant planned. I don't like sitting across from the <laughs> but there's a mirror behind the I'm always facing not the mirror right so you add nakedness and um, movement jiggliness all of it yeah yeah abandon wild abandon doesn't play well in any yeah. sort of masks film. Yeah. what <laughs> what yeah. right yeah. exactly yeah so okay so going back to um, Daily Show <laughs> oh and God, creating see, Daily Show I'm the worst. no you're the, this is great. <laughs> You are a great guest. Well, I'm not one of those people who goes, and I, it's really bad because my publishers always get mad because every, you know, you've had those people who are like, well, in my book, Liz for your die, it yeah. says, well, like, I'm not that person. And uh, my book is, is basically written sort of how I talk. And so it's just a bound version of. Right. It's Mises. Yeah. They're Messes. Me- oh. I know. Okay, people no. think they're Mises. And it's actually messes because I'm a messy person. I have been wanting to say messes. Yes. Then I, I said to myself, self, they're probably it's probably messes. That's probably no, I'm so glad. Made, people I have like made the mistake. Yeah, okay. they're messes. Like just kind of essays of a messy woman. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Messe. Yeah. Messe with an M. Right. So they're messes. 
autobiographical and your publisher wishes that you would be plugging your book more and not being just messy. blabbing it's just blabbing about things but um i just think it's more fun to blab about things and then maybe people will go hey that chick's kind of funny and messed up maybe i'll read her book right and then when they read the book i haven't given away Every single thing in the it's book. True. Like, is that a bigger ripoff when somebody like tells you basically the whole book in an interview and then you're like, wait, I just spent money on this book and you just said everything that was in the mm-hmm. book. Lame. Yeah. No, I, I think your way is better. You tell your publisher, um, I like your way. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. In, in, Allison in those likes words. my way, publisher. <laughs> right. Riverhead Press. That's right. So, okay. So the, the year that you were developing Daily Show and the stuff that led up to that um, – so had you already worked with Comedy Central? You said that they had said to you, like, we want to do something about the news. Yes. Involving the news. So basically what happened was before the, da- before the Daily Show, I was a segment producer. John Stewart had a syndicated talk show that was on late at night, and I was a segment producer on that show. And w- that show got canceled. And then John got locked into a development deal with David Letterman's company and went away. He was completely unavailable. And the people who are our bosses on the John Stewart show – got hired at Comedy Central to take over Comedy Central. And so they called in the executive producer from John, so Madeline Smithberg and me, and said, Liz, you kind of have this politics thing down and you kind of watch the media and stuff like that. And Madeline has the giant, you know, sort of executive producer chops. Do you guys want to put your brains together and come up with something that can be on the air four nights a week? And I was like, sure. And I was like, the only show I ever worked on is this one. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I did not know what I was doing, and I helped develop the show, and then I was its head writer, and I was like, oh, my God, I've never done this before. And so I was sort of bad at it um, in the sense of I was so desperate to make sure that we could, like, call bullshit and make sure it was really good that I would just hang on to ideas at first. like, And I was, I was just not a good team player because I didn't realize that – I actually just kept coming up with ideas. And once I was, like, comfortable in my own skin and was like, oh, you hate that idea? All right, we'll come up with another one. Um, I got much better at it. But at first, it was just like, oh, my God, I'm making every mistake that one can make because you've given me a job I don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of crazy. Like, you were you were taking it personally? Everything personally at the I was, beginning? I was taking everything personally. I was, I was so convinced that nobody was going to care as much as me. Instead of just letting everyone care. Mm-hmm. And so I would just like presuppose people wouldn't care and then kind of not be very nice sometimes. But then that went away pretty quickly. And then we all – once we figured out how the machine worked, then once you realize everybody's talented and you can just give people jobs and they do them and that the writers are really great and you can tweak their stuff and that if they come up with something that – and this was kind of a big test for me is – if a writer came up with something and I liked it and I put it in the show, um, sometimes we only had like a half an hour to get the script to the network and then they'd go, yeah, that joke isn't living. And another one had to be written really quick and sometimes I had to write it. And so if I changed the joke and then it went into rehearsal and that person's joke was dropped and a new one was put in and the writer's like, that was funny. Who wrote that? And I was like, I did. And they're like, oh, that was actually great. Um, I felt like that was a big accomplishment and it was a good way for them to look at me as a peer because if you have to kill somebody's jokes like you have to be able to write one at least as funny yes and sometimes funnier but at least as funny and if they know you can 
they're much more likely to respect you, mm-hmm. to understand the network called and they had to drop it. And, you know, you know, you guys were drinking probably. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> find you. Um, so that part of it was cool. And then to realize that that was I had the skills to be able to write jokes that were funny, that I could, you know, write a new thing and replace it with something else and have the respect of the team was was kind of great. And then I fought battles for them. And to me, that's a really, a really big deal is that I, um, I will go to bat for anybody's material that I like with a network. And I'd rather have network people um, look at me as somebody who is slightly, you know, oh, if we have Liz, she's going to fight for material sometimes. And we know that. And then they know that I'll fail sometimes the writers. But if they, if you fight for it, they sure respect you a lot more then if you just go, oh, don't go that far. Oh, I don't want to mm-hmm. try. You know, that's just like a bummer. You know, good shows don't get on the air because you're constantly second guessing what the line is. Like, that's no fun. Right. Is that what most of the disagreements or conflict with the network would have been about? You guys, like them not wanting to go as far as you wanted to go? I think so. And then sometimes you can, you know, sometimes you can fool people, which is really great. Like there was one <laughs> like joke where it was... We had some joke about Jerry Falwell and George Bush and how – I mean the joke was kind of not even a joke, but it was kind of like um, you know, something about Jerry Falwell having – or George Bush having his head up the ass of the Christian writer or something like that. And it went to the network and they're like, we can't say that. Can you change it to something else? It's just not really even a joke. And I was like, you're right. That isn't really even a joke. And so then I said, um, George Bush is tongue darting the Christian right? And then um, they call back and they're like, you know what? Thank you so much. That's that's such a, you know, it's just like, you know, it's going to make everybody feel better. And I was like, that is a way dirtier and actually a funny joke. And it's tongue dirt. It's just a funny phrase. Yeah. And so it was kind of great to be able to go, oh, sure, I'll change it. And then change it to something filthier and funnier and even edgier. And then having them either get it or not get it. I don't know. Huh. But you really, it was like, I think I got away with <laughs> so that was kind of fun. So how many years were you uh, actively working on The Daily Show? Uh, I developed it for almost a year, and then I was there for two years on air. And I mean, do, yeah, live doing the show live. Was that when Craig Kilborn yes. was there? The Craig Kilborn years. He was the first host. He's who we launched with. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Do you still have a relationship with him? Not really. I don't know where he is now. No one does. He seems to be secret and elusive. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. Just the whole underground Craig Kilborn the last I heard, Lifestyle. I read he when he he left that late night show that Craig Ferguson has now, mm-hmm. and he was going to write and produce. I read that in the trades. I heard that he uh, was doing a pilot at some point, but everyone is always doing a pilot right. at some point, right? But I believe that was the last I had heard, and that was out here. Um, but is John Stewart was that the vision at the beginning? You know what the vision at the beginning? Well, yeah, John Stewart was the initial was uh, was the person that Madeline and I wanted because we had just come off working with John, but then he was locked up in the steel, and so he was not available. You know, and so Craig was available. And the thing about Craig that was interesting was when we launched the show, the thought was to keep it, you know, more in the vein of. I mean, I'm going to use Colbert as an analogy only in the sense of um, is. There's nobody breaking character. You know, there was John is now the voice of of reason. And then he's surrounded by all these crazy correspondents. Mm-hmm. And I like the direction the show took. But our, our initial vision was to keep it like nobody comment. Keep this totally straight. 
and and go forward, and then people can almost look like at, the Onion news, kind of like the Onion news, but with real news, right? You know, and so you look at the guy and go, "Is that guy Ted Baxter? Is he super smart? Like I can't, I don't know." <laughs> Um, and so when John took over, that's not in John's nature to mm-hmm. do that anyway. And I think the show, quite frankly, is better. You know, it's grown and I think it's better. And I think that he, the way that he um, has taken it to this next level of being sort of the voice of the viewer and the voice of like just incredulity and then dealing with these people who are acting like these morons that are on all the other news networks. Um, I think the contrast works a lot better and I think it's really effective. Yeah, I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. I can say that because I'm not there anymore. Uh, why did you leave? Now, see, this might be getting into the stuff that's in the book. No, it's not in the book. Okay. I left. I, it's not in the book because I find it not um, as interesting as writing. A- I only had one essay to write about The Daily Show, or I chose to only write one about, because the, about The Daily Show. And I feel for me, the story that I can really tell is how The Daily Show came to be and how it got launched and how this thing happened. Everything after that. It's John's. You know, he really mm-hmm. took it to these new places. But that team that developed it and made it and, and launched it and those correspondence and how they did that and how the it all came to be, like, that's a really fun story that, you know, that only a few people can tell. And so for me, I feel like going on and on about The Daily Show, it's just kind of lame because I can only say I did so much. And it's a cool thing that I did. And I think it's a really fun story. But after that, that's John's story to tell. And that's the people who took it over and took it to this, like, you know, stratospheric place. Like, that's their story to tell. And when I left, I was, you know, hoping to put more shows on the air that were kind of looking at the world in a jaundiced eye. And the interesting thing was to find out that, A, nobody wanted to do a show like this again because it doesn't syndicate. Mm, which is a huge bummer. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be, oh, we don't want to get too political or content-wise. And it wasn't that. It's that we can't run this ad nauseum and make tons of money. And then 9-11 happened, and forget about it. It was like, you know, we're all just going to march in line and not question the government, and it's all rah-rah, we're Americans, and we're going to take our sports flags off our cars and put American flags and do our thing, and there it is. Good luck to you. Go do an MTV reality show, which is what I had to do. Oh, what was your reality show? Oh, the worst. I can't. It's it's in the book. Actually, that's one of the things that you have to read it because it's the most suppressing story maybe ever of any reality show that ever somebody tried to do. And I had to do it. But I just did the pilot and I said, I can't do the series. It's too crazy. And did it? It, it, it went to it, series for a while and then it finally didn't wasn't on the air anymore. Yeah. What was the name? At least tell me the name of the it. The show was called Burned. Was it a dating show? It was an undercover dating show. Oh, okay. Always fun. Undercover dating show. And we had to shoot the pilot in South Padre Island um, during spring break. It was... I can't wait to read it. It was so awful. Like, crazy awful. Was it the worst of all the things you've worked on? 100% the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Hands down. 100% the worst. Yeah. Yeah, it was 100% the worst. And it wasn't even 100% the worst because I had to be on South Padre Island with drunken um, college kids. That I knew was the deal. It, the ensuing um, developments of Burned was <laughs> what, what made the worst. <laughs> the worst. Yeah. How they kept adding premises to top their own just like shitty 
shitty, shitty selves. Yeah, it was bad. And you made sixteen and pregnant look like you know front line. It was bad. Okay. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I I never saw it. Yeah. Although maybe I would have enjoyed it in a sort of this is terrible way. But well, I also don't think that like <clears throat> in the scope of hiring your your best spring break uh, dating undercover series uh, producers that Liz Winstead fits your bill. I mean, I got. <laughs> The worst call I ever got for a show was I had this agent who, and you know, my background, you know, there's just things you call me for and there's things you don't call me for. Um, somebody had the idea that they thought maybe they would do a reality show <laughs> based on Shallow Hal, where they would hypnotize guys <laughs> to have sex with fat women. And I was like... You would like me to produce that show? First of all, <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, second of all, that's not how hypnosis works. Right. And third, you think so little of women that, like, you're going to decide who's fat and that men would never want to have sex with women who are bigger. And, and therefore, yeah, are the, are the women supposed to jump at this opportunity? Uh, yeah. That yeah, was the other part. Thrilled. <laughs> Bob, they'll be lining up right. for this. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, yeah. So I was like, yeah, no. No. Did your agent I, want you to do it? No, oh, yeah. Why not do this, Liz? It's a good opportunity to get in the door. And I was like, in the door where? In, right. in Dante's Inferno? Like, wow, that's the door to which level level of hell? Um, so I was like, no. And I believe you won't be my agent anymore. Um, yeah. So I was like, you're not my agent. Like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, And I don't think that ever got off the ground. I think that didn't really leave the... Um, so someone can still do it is what you're so, saying. Yes, yeah, so what yeah. I'm saying is I don't <laughs> remember news. what they called it, um, but people out there who are listening who want to make a show that's um, showing that the world is literally coming to an end, uh, there's your ticket. Go pitch Shallow Hell, the reality show. Yeah. Um, now, you you were one of the creators of Air America? I was, Air America Radio. I was indeed. What was that like, that experience? That was really – well, the good news was it came on the heels of the horrible – like when I came back from the MTV, I was like damaged. I was like I, – I felt like I needed a Silkwood shower. I felt like, oh my god, I don't know if there's ever going to be any kind of thing I like to do ever again. And – um and especially coming off of The Daily Show, which I imagine was satisfying, right? Yeah. Because you believed in what you were doing. Yeah. But I also did fun projects that were, you know, not like I worked on The Man Show pilot and I had a riot. And mm-hmm. I worked on other shows that were um, not necessarily political, but were fun. And so I was at least happy with the work if it wasn't like, oh, I'm changing the way people get their news or whatever. So um, – it was – I got this call from a guy who who said, hi, my name is John Sinton. He had this really like low baritone radio voice and I said, hi, John. And he said – and this was unbelievable. He goes, um, I'm launching a new radio network that is um, progressive political talk and Al Franken is going to be our anchor uh, show and we need somebody to help build the whole network around him. And Al suggested that we get a Liz Winstead type. <laughs> and so I'm calling you. And I was like, you're calling me for a Liz Winstead type? What, like for tips on the other yous out there? Yeah. And I, yeah. And normally that means we want a guy 
that's sort of like you. Or it means, hey, we want to do politics, but not really more pop culture and really not like The Daily Show at all and really like <laughs> more like Entertainment Tonight. And so can you do that? It's like, so it's not really The Daily Show? Yeah, right. Exactly. But he just kept going on and on. And he gave me these all these crazy statistics like that 96% of all the um, actual talk radio is conservative and that only 4% is of a Democrat or liberal or progressive bent mixed all together. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah. Wow. I know. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. So he was like, we have this funding. Do you want to do it? And I was like, how about if you have the real Liz Winstead, not a Liz <laughs> Winstead type? And he's like, oh, you would do it. And I said, yeah. And I guess so he just, what, what was he hoping that you would suggest? Like, I, be like a consultant sort of? I think what he thought was I wouldn't leave TV to go work in radio mm-hmm. because it's less money and because it's, you know, not as – you know, I don't know, you know, right. it's not as, it's not TV, glamorous. you know, glamorous. And I was just never, I was always driven by just, is it fun? Do I like doing it? Is it rewarding? Blah, blah, blah. And so are the people fun? And so I was like, yes. And I got to move back to New York, which is my love. I love living in New York. And so um, I launched the network and um, I had a show from nine to noon and I had to find co-host. I had one co-host who was Chuck D from Public Enemy, and we had to find another co-host. But I was so busy um, as one of the executives programming the network that I was like, I couldn't find a third co-host for my show, and I was kind of panicking. And it was getting down to like four weeks before we were launching, and I still didn't have a co-host because we were kind of trying to set up the show in pods where there was like someone like me who was politically oriented and you know decently smart. But I wasn't like that sort of voice of trust. So we wanted a voice of trust, um, a cultural person. And then I was sort of like, you know, the color commentator who could bring jokes and kind of do that. And so I didn't know what the hell to do. And a friend of mine called me who had moved out of New York years before to move to uh, Western Massachusetts and said, hey, I've got a friend who's who submitted to Air America and nobody listened to her. Demo reel. And I was like, if you only knew, you guys probably know how many untalented friends people have. It is astounding. Like the horrible, horrible, not, oh my God. And I was like, she probably ended up in a shit pile for a reason. (laughs) I was like, did she ever hear back from anyone? No, never. And I was like, okay, well, send me your reel, but send it to my house. I promise I'll listen. You're my friend. I really like you. And so this thing came in the mail and I had forgotten that he'd even called me and I thought it was just like a Christmas CD. Um, and so I was like, well, I'll listen to that eventually. And then I was like, oh, wait, no. Paul was sending me a friend and I promised I would listen. And so I bring it into work and the woman who was working with me on hiring and staffing everybody, we sit down and listen to it. And it's Rachel Maddow. And so I was like, she's good. And so um, we called her and she came down on a bus that Day. What what was it from listening that, that you responded to? You know, she was talking about um, the California governor's race and she was talking about Schwarzenegger and she had all these really interesting facts about um, – she was just talking about how he um, had dealt with being a Republican and how he dealt with Democrats and she knew all the players in this California legislature and she made the story really compelling in a way, and she was interviewing somebody, and she said in the interview, and I'll never forget this, um, tell me if I got anything wrong setting up the scenario for how Schwarzenegger has succeeded and failed um, as governor. 
And the person, I can't remember who it was, he was a congressperson, I think, and just talking to her on local radio. And, and he said, no, you got it really right. And uh, you laid it out really nicely. And I was like, she's so concerned with the facts. And she's so compelling. And, and she was of humor, but it didn't overpower mm-hmm. her being smart. You always felt like I, I could trust her. When I was listening to the demo reel, I was like, oh, I really trust you. And then you're kind of clever. You know, the way Brian Williams kind of has that thing where he's yeah. sort of funny. And when she came down, she was just, um, you know, 10 miles of fun and, you know, had a lot to talk about. And her interests were really vast as far as the war and as as far as like um, just, you know, the legacy of, of Bill Clinton and how that had morphed into something else. And she was just great. And I kind of felt like you're great because she was as funny as I was smart. And then she was as smart as I was funny, I thought. And so it was like really good pairing. I didn't want to be her. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted her to like pick all the stories and then I could just like read them and get smarter and then be able to react comedically in in a way. And so it was really great. So we had this crazy radio show with Chuck D and Rachel Maddow and me for like almost two years and then or 18 months or something. And then um, and then I got fired from Air America because we had this horrible um, – the guy, people that founded it were like a Vanity Fair article. They like lied about the money <laughs> and they were grifters and they were from Guam. And like first of all, we all signed on to leave our lives yeah. and sign on with these guys from Guam who had like a radio station in Guam and – and we all thought it was okay. Like, you know, when you go, how are these smart people? So how does Billy Joel lose two fortunes? You're like, sometimes people are just lulled into some weird stupidity. And so what happened was, so those guys got fired and they brought in this new executive to run Air America. And his big plan was that he just didn't see humor as being effective at all in talking about politics. Oh, man. So he fired me and he fired all the comedy writers and he fired Mark Maron and um, and and replaced the Rachel Maddow, Chuck D. Liz Winstead show with Jerry Springer <laughs> and then put Rachel Maddow on at 5 o'clock in the morning. And so um, he didn't last that long there either. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was kind of nuts. And so um, – and then it just had a series of sort of failed people and then um, – you know, just went away, right? Kind of went away. Eventually, I think just went bankrupt or Chapter Eleven or whatever happens when radio stations go quietly into the night when they have no more money. <laughs> I'm not even sure what the term for that is. Yeah, um, and then Rachel went on to be Rachel Maddow, and Chuck D is was inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend. So yay, the Rock and Roll and, Hall of Fame! And you're on this show, and I'm on this show. Um, what made you decide to do a book? You know, I didn't for a long time. And that same editor, like, approached me 10 years ago and said, do you ever want to write a book? And I said, I don't know. What's my life? Like, I don't know what my life is. Is it interesting? Do people give a shit? And then when I realized that the book was more about um, this weird journey of trying to just figure out what it is I wanted to do in my life. And then this path is constantly up and down. And even... You know, there's no I've made it in this business. It's just a series of it's great and it's not. And it's great and it's not. And you kind of have to love the it's not part two um, to stay in it. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of a, a guide of to read if you're whatever you love to just stay in it. So many people were quitting that I knew were quitting show business, were quitting writing. And it's like 
because they, they just, couldn't attain what they wanted they to. They couldn't attain what they wanted to. And I was like, the joy is just being in it. And if it means you got to get a day job and you write a blog and you're on Twitter, like, don't just stop, you know, because if you stop, then for sure you're no longer in it. But if you keep this creative presence all the time, you never know where it's going to pick up for you. And so I kind of wanted to just tell, you know, sort of these places that that happened for me. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what it always is like. And hard stuff happens along the way and you have to keep being creative. And sometimes that stuff is personal hard stuff and sometimes it's professional hard stuff. And so, um, you know, it's kind of nice too when somebody just addresses their own bullshit um, and it's the same bullshit as somebody else. You're like, oh, that person's sort of normal too. I think they're funny and they're kind of normal and also they're a mess. Hence, messes. Well, we have a segment on the show that we'll do in in a couple minutes um, where we can all relate to how much of a mess we all are, I think. Um, and that was a really vague tease for just me or everyone. But I wanted to ask, there was a section in your book that just you – it was um, funny the way you told it, but – I was uh, just hating this guy, the hockey player. Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so you got pregnant the first time that you had sex. Yes, at 16, 17. Yes. Okay, so um, this is you talking. Luckily for me, I had an expert source for all things sex-related, my devoted hockey player boyfriend. He would have the answer. He always did. What the fuck? You weren't on something, he asked, with all the loving concern that so many guys with a mullet have. I was on you. I thought gravity would prevent something like this. Well, you dumb bitch, you are on your own here, and I'm not driving you home. I, I that must have been awful. Kind of. Or was that awful? Yeah, it was pretty awful. You know, it was pretty awful because, you know, this is why I'm like, in another thing, just, you know, I have been, I kind of spent the past two years going on the road and doing my stand-up and raising a bunch of money for Planned Parenthood. Um, and I and I read this particular essay. It's about getting pregnant um, at these benefits. I t- I do my act, and then I kind of read the thing. And and so much of of sexuality and who we are and all that stuff. Like a lot of us have sex before we're smart enough, probably to be having sex. You know, you're- see, I always figure I just got smart too late, but because I because I had sex late, but I still feel like I wasn't ready. See, I just was like, I don't know. I had all the drive and it was you know i don't know i all those judy bloom books they just yeah. did something and so and i was like <laughs> you know he was cute and it felt good and i wanted to do it but then i was like wrestling with being catholic and i kind of knew it was wrong and so i would make all these deals i literally made the deal with myself like oh if i have sex and don't use birth control i'm only committing one sin like ridiculous mm-hmm. sin you know, oh, and then, you know, so then you're pregnant and then you're in denial about being pregnant and you're 16 and you're scared and you figure if you just like, you know, go to enough cheerleading dance line practices you'll that you'll, you'll kick the way, you kick it out and then you don't and then you can't tell your friends because how embarrassing because everyone's pretending that they're not fucking their boyfriends when mm-hmm. everyone is. But it's like the unspoken don't say that because if we all admit it, then we're no longer good girls and we're all sluts. And so then I just found myself at one of those creepy crisis pregnancy centers with this nightmare woman in a lab coat who pretends to be a doctor. And you're like, oh, wait, women that sell Clinique wear lab coats, too. You're not a doctor. This is all bullshit. Um, But it's it's 
to deny that there's a sexual world that we live in is crazy. Yes. And so if you and especially, you know, you look at the way these people talk and they're like, you know, we need to reduce abortion. And the way we're going to do that is remove access to birth control. And it's like, oh, my God, you shouldn't even be at the table. Like, why are you even talking about this shit yeah. and not educating kids on it, on it? And there was never an age of abstinence. Right. You know, people forget right. that. Like, people no, it only never... existed on TV shows where where men and women slept in two different beds. Right. In real life, I Ever. don't think they did that. No, and then you know, and then they had like all these programs that were funded by the government, like to the tune of a billion dollars, that were abstinence only programs and like creepy programs where you would go to a daddy daughter dance. And then you would be like dressed up and your dad would put a silver ring Ugh. on your finger and you would pledge your virginity to your dad at a dance. And it's like, um, ew. And like, <laughs> and then they were like 87% of like people who um, were participating in these programs got pregnant or, or not got pregnant. I'm sorry. Um, had sex. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, please, people have sex. Yeah. You know? It's like we just demonize it so much in our culture. It just drives me insane. I think it's fun and awesome. And again, it goes back to we need to blow more loners. <laughs> right? See? Exactly. We've come full circle. Do you tend to be attracted to loners or to uh, non-loners, social people? I tend to be – a. you know, I don't have a type of guy. But um, when you – I since I never wanted kids, um, that – that got very interesting, um, especially in my like late twenties and early thirties. And I mean, I've known this since I was eight. And I would date a guy, and then for, you know, six months in, I'd be like, you know, I don't want kids. Like, I'm not kidding. And then it'd be like we'd date for another year and a half, and then he'd be like, so um, we should really talk about the next step and what we want and kids. And I was like, I don't. Like you're, no one's penis is magical enough for me to all of a sudden want to be a mom. I just don't want to be a mom. I like bless everyone who wants to be moms. People should be thanking me that I know that I would be too selfish to be a parent. Mm-hmm. Like you're welcome, actually, society. And so those relationships would end. And so n- now, you know, it's always kind of been I want a guy who likes to travel, who kind of cares about the same politics I do, who likes food, you know, music, stuff, you know, but and is a good companion, likes dogs. You know, so, um, yeah. So, and then what that is in a phys, I like every physical type there, you know, I don't have like a, oh, I only like that kind of, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I find younger guys are more attracted to me than older guys. What do you think that is? Mm. I don't know. I think guys my age still have, maybe sometimes still have, um, like a gender roles that they would prefer maybe a little bit. Younger guys sometimes have been raised by single moms or, you know, kind of see that women have a lot of different roles and, and, you know, it's just, it's different. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I find that younger guys kind of dig me more than older guys. I don't know what that's about, but I'll take it. What's the biggest age difference you've uh, ever been with? Yeah. 20 years. Wow. That was crazy. Especially when he told me that I'm, I was the same age as his mom. That was weird. I was like, ugh. so then I, of course, looked at. Um, a picture of his mom on Facebook to see. Um, and uh, and did know, you? I didn't look anything like the mom. No, yeah. no, I didn't look anything like the mom. Um, and I felt like I wasn't a mommy substitute, hopefully. That would be weird. Um, yeah, 20 years. But that was like only one time. And mm-hmm. that was just like, you know, sort of a year of 
crazy sex fun hanging out. Like I knew it wasn't going anywhere because then you know because then you're like wait I'm in diapers in like 15 years and he'll be 40. <laughs> That's bad. I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh, was briefly hooking up with someone when I was 35 and he was like 23. That's a big weird difference. Uh, yeah. That's and a I boredom felt like- difference. Like bless your hearts, 23 year olds listening. Like I think you're awesome, but you just don't, like the life experience is. I would if a 23 year old liked me. I would think that 23-year-old shouldn't like me. Like, mm. I'm boring. Like, you know, you shouldn't go, let's – I really want to go to this chocolate wine thing. Like, I don't want to – a 23-year-old should be drinking and being on the beach and discovering who you are and doing whatever you're doing and using that time to, I don't know, being at school maybe or just not being hanging out with a woman who's – Yeah, I know. It, I always felt like this is – this is wrong and not in an exciting way. Right. I mean, well, I mean, for a minute it was, but yeah. then I just thought, like, what am I doing? And also, I was always, I went into it, I think, trying to be sensitive to what I would have needed when I, because I used to always like older guys. Like, I think that I used to have a thing where, yeah, I liked older guys or then I liked younger guys when I was older. I think that it was not, feel. it was feeling like, my peers maybe can see me too clearly or something. Right. It was like trying – it was a, a way of avoiding intimacy. But um, I think that I had sort of gotten past that. But then this was this like very brief flare-up, right? As I lived in New York and it, I, this was like right before I was moving back to California and so my life was in flux. Um, but I think that I was like, okay, well, so when I was younger, you know, the older guys uh, – should have been sensitive to me in these ways. And like, I went into it thinking that I'm going to somehow hurt him. Not really realizing that no, actually a 23 year old guy still could hurt me, even though I, you know, that my life experience is not going to protect me if my, if my emotions are going to get involved at all, even though I don't know if they were. Oh my God. If you're with a 23 year old and you're 35, you should be not overthinking anything. You shouldn't even be thinking you should be having sex and having the time of your life. You were overthinking it. Oh, but I I overthink everything. You do? No, you know why though? I think because I was having this conversation, I did, I didn't, I wouldn't have had to overthink that one, but I was having conversations with my sister and she was just like, what are you doing? Be careful. Blah, 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 You know. Well, for me too, like I have certain things I like. Like for example, I like a guy who can cook and especially I like to eat after sex. And so when they're 23, you know, they don't have a lot of cooking under their belt. Mm-mm. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like you're probably not going to cook anything for me. Right. Because you're just young and don't know how really yet. So maybe not. Maybe I don't want to. Maybe 23. No. Have you ever dated a chef? I've never dated a chef, but I've dated guys who are awesome cooks. Yeah. I think a chef, you know, I'm fairly strong in the personality department. Mm-hmm. I think a chef, because I'm a producer, you know, and, and there's that there's that thing. And so I think it would be a bad combo of, um, I think it would be fun at first, and then I think it might be fiery and argue, argue, arguey. Right. Know, a lot of control issues. Right. Sometimes I think you got to, you know, you got to be give and take on the control mm-hmm. and I think two chefs who are constantly always trying to be the quote unquote chef met, you know like metaphorically and right it would be a bummer right yeah be like um, like Iron Chef in real life yeah bad exactly chopped Just yeah exactly like that as well so I would imagine the fact that you knew that you didn't want a baby at eight did you like, how did you feel? Like, that almost, this is uh, this is a little melodramatic, but what I'm about to say, but it almost feels like to to know that is 
like the process of putting that out there is almost like coming out. Like yeah. it wasn't it kind of, it's sort of I think it's sort of un, I'm not saying this, but I think there are people who feel like it was well, unacceptable for a woman to not want to be a mother. Yeah, I think there are people like that. And I think that what's funny about that is um, those people like, like me, like I remember saying to my shrink in my 20s, um, you know, because it's like I never played when I would fantasize, you know, when you're a kid, you play all kinds of role-playing games and you pretend this and that and I always played like model or move to New York like I thought Barbie <laughs> was awesome because Barbie was single and she had a dream house and a sports car and a sports car that I couldn't use anymore because my brother had all these R. Crumb stickers that he put all over my Barbie car so there was like a picture of a guy whose knees were up and he was blowing himself and like he wrecked my whole Barbie car I was so pissed and we couldn't afford to get a new one but anyway sidebar. Vandalism. Yes I was angry Um, so I you know, yeah, people were like, they were kind of weirded out. And I just kept saying, aren't you glad I don't, that I know that? Like, look at me for real. Like, I wouldn't be good at this. I don't prioritize kids. I don't prioritize baby. I don't babysit for money. I don't do anything that involves children. Mm -hmm. I don't fantasize when I'm playing house that there's kids and now I got a fake stroller. Like, I don't have any of those toys. I don't ask for those toys. And then um, when it became time where I was like, oh, physically, I don't think I can have babies anymore. And it was like, I still don't care. Woo! I was right all along. <laughs> um, but, you know, and it's the thing I love the most, too, with these same judgy people who are like, it's unacceptable. They're They're the same people who are like, motherhood is the hardest job in the world. It's like, I know. That's why I don't want to yeah. do it. Because you should want easier. to do this thing that I'm telling you yeah. is awful. <laughs> In fact, it's so hard. Let's make 13 year olds do it when they find out they're pregnant <laughs> right. or 16 year olds. It's like, how does that make any sense? So, what's the second hardest job in the world? Coal miner? Are you going to throw a 13 year old to coal mine? Like, yeah. it makes no sense to say it's the hardest job in the world. And then we should just make young everyone, girls, everyone who. Is it happens is to have the equipment? Yeah. Do it. It seems bad. Like if I say I've done some self examination and I know I'd be bad at this thing, um, let's all just go with the fact that I'd be bad at this thing and not make me do it. Make me do something I think I'm good at yeah. that I'd be motivated to do every day, all day. That seems better. Right? Agreed. I, I right? think so. I think it makes so sense. Too. But some people don't put a premium on making sense. Oh, most people yeah. in charge. In fact, I know. I know. It's irritating. All right, let's do a quick just me or everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. So this is where people send oh, in yeah. things they think or do and they wonder is it just them or everyone. James L. Wilson says, I think crap is more vulgar than shit and freaking more vulgar than fucking. Um, no, I, I don't think these, I think shit and fucking are more vulgar than crap and freaking, but I like all of them. Yeah. I think freaking is embarrassing. Right. You know, I just think it's not a substitute, like come up with a totally different word. Mm -hmm. I've always hated it when people say fudge or freaking, you know. I used to hate effing. And then I was thinking today that I'm actually, I'm okay with effing at this point, but I used to, it used to actually, I remember feeling less attracted to a guy because in 
an email. He said effing. I was like, just say the word. Come on. Well, I say sometimes effing on Twitter because if you sometimes just use straight up swearing, then you get all the bots. Yeah. You know, oh, like, that, right. I mean, that's the only reason that I don't sometimes, but I'm not very sparing. Like I'm usually pretty much swearing all the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So, but I effing stupid. I mean, it depends, I guess, on if somebody is ha- in a job like Rachel Maddow never says the F word. Because she never wants to accidentally say it. Well, that's smart. In in um on, TV. on air, yeah, yeah, on air. So she just doesn't ever use it in life. She just doesn't use it. So you know, but yeah, I think it's pretty lame. I think that brown nosing is more vulgar and descriptive than ass kissing. When you think about it, think about why someone's nose would be brown. It does, I mean, it sounds like a it's a nicer way to say it, but it's. When you think about it, it's gross. I guess for me, it's less um, visual in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, because I, 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 it's passive. Brown nosing seems more passive than ass kissing. Right, right. And I just think ass kiss has, uh, mm-hmm. and then brown nose is all sort of soft. Yeah. So I feel it's softer. Okay. That makes sense. I was thinking recently, um, so looking at my puppy, and I was thinking he possibly literally has a shit-eating smile. Oh, my dog does. That phase. Uh, Is it a phase? No, it is not a phase. Or that, um, maybe it's the bacon-flavored treats. Oh, you haven't gotten to that part of my book. I have an entire essay. I'm I'm so excited about the dog's essay. It's, they, it is an unrepentant shit gobbler of epic, epic proportion. Well, then yeah. I'll be able to relate. Yes. But yeah, like I wonder what makes a smile shit-eating. I think because when you – as I write in Liz for Your Die, the book, if you've ever watched a dog gobble up shit, mm. there is no greater joy on the face of a living creature that when you watch a dog like eating shit. Like the face, it's so – Intense that for a second you're like, I wonder if that's yeah maybe there's something like, we're missing out for one second yeah, yeah. I mean, and then but then you realize uh-huh. calm like you shouldn't probably ever right. say that um, in public, but it is true and I think a shit eating grin is from the joy that is derived from a dog eating poop because I've never seen anything happier in its life. It's weird how much we are not okay with them doing that unless you have achieved some kind of zen regarding your dogs eating their poop because. My reaction is always like, oh, don't, Oliver, no, or whatever, you know, like, oh, or that I'm somehow, like, I'm failing by not preventing this. And then I think it's actually, you know, fairly clean way to get rid of it. Well, it is. And I I spent thousands of dollars trying to make it stop and uh, to much fail. Veterinarians are just criminals. They are useless criminals who absolutely... Every time there's something wrong with your dog, and it doesn't matter if your dog has cancer or is gobbling up shit in an epic way, they just look at the – they go at the gums and then they squeeze the haunches and then it's $150. No matter what. <laughs> does not matter what happens. It's 150 bucks. And I don't know why you're squeezing haunches and gums yeah. when someone's eating shit, but they are. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's um, it, It's not a phase. They do it uh, – well, it could be – You know, they tell you a whole bunch of different reasons it could be. Um, it never was any of those reasons. Um, I think it's just because they're dogs and they like it. They like shit. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right. Jovial Jackie, after a flight, I keep my lotion, lip gloss, and chapstick in a quart-sized Ziploc bag in my purse for weeks. Just me. No, I do that too. Okay. Who puts their – you don't have to, first of all, ladies. Your lip gloss – I travel. Oh, wait, that's true. I didn't read. The, I didn't read the specifics of it, but I do. But I do my little travel size things. I like keep those in their little container or whatever for a while afterwards. But why would you take them out? Wouldn't they just be your travel size containers, ladies? This is insanity. You use your big shampoo at home, and then you pack your travel size things. And then those are always your travel size things so that you have a thing of travel size that you throw in and pack. That is how someone who travels often and is organized would do it. Okay. That's the right way to do it. But then there's people like – I'm not this place so much anymore. But there's other people where every time they have to go anywhere, then it becomes this whole festival of little bottles. Okay. Well, that's sad. That's sad for those people because, first of all, I don't know why you're not you know, using it all up on your trip. A. Oh, you try to you you try to figure out how much shampoo you're going to need ahead of time, and then well, I pack pre- accordingly. Well, you know, first of all, here's what's crazy. Nine times out of ten, I'm traveling to a place where they will provide the shampoo for me mm-hmm. and conditioner. I've actually started relying on that. It's yeah. so liberating. Yeah, and it's pretty consistent. Yeah. They, you, you know, if, if somebody's putting you up in a motel that does not provide uh, your body wash and your shampoo. Then it's an hourly rate at that hotel. It's motel. probably a place where there's been a murder-suicide mm. pact in your room just before you checked yeah. in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would say check for cigarette butt, you know, cigarette burns on your right, bread. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, yeah. So there's certain things that you should just know you don't really need to bring. Mm. Bring your lotion you enjoy and your face washes that you enjoy. But, you know, the shampoo and conditioner. Like, seriously. I've even started not bringing my hair dryer, which is really living on the edge for me. And Wait I just minute. trust that they you have You travel a with a hair dryer? <laughs> no, I used to. I don't anymore. Oh, my God. This is insane. They don't – That's they provide. Do you bring sheets? No. Are you that person on a plane with a pillow? No. I hate those people I with know. a pillow. It's I'm like, not. where are you going? Yeah. What kind of a loser are you? Are those people that walk around with that? Wearing the Wearing their yeah, thing? Yeah, I know. Like they've no. had an injury? I, whenever I see someone with a pillow, I just think, you want to have to carry that around and or have that in your suitcase the whole time? Like sometimes people will bring full-size things. Now I'm jumping back to toiletries. But just there's a lot of... Uh, I just don't want to have to lug anything extra, considering how poorly I pack and that I always. And considering you used to travel extra. with a hair dryer, <laughs> do you? I prefer the, mine. To what? The little tiny like. Okay. Do thing. You, are you a person that washes her hair every day? I would. I like to, but you know what? Even that sometimes I won't on trips anymore. Oh my god! You exhaust. We're never traveling together. You exhaust me. You take forever to get out of the hotel room, don't you? Forever. <sighs> Not, I'm not as bad as I used to be. Okay. I used to take forever. Blah, blah, blah. If you saw my hand right now, it's going blah, 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 blah. How fast do you blah. get anywhere? I can be anywhere in 20 minutes. Really? Yes. Wow. You make decisions. Oh, that, well, that's what I don't do. <laughs> I mean, honestly. <laughs> that's okay. exactly what I don't do. Like, you're not, like, okay. There first you go. of all, yeah. I mean, there, you make decisions. If you're getting laid every day, then there's a, there's a regime. 
If you're not getting late every day, there's a different regime. If you're running late and you know that between point A and point B there will be no sex involved, then you, there's a different regime. You have to you have to like assess the regime based on. I'm just I'm surprised by everything, including sex. I mean, not anymore, but that used to be how I was. I'm a little more. I know where the sex is and when it's happening, and I can get places faster now. But I use everything used to be a mess. Do you keep stuff in your car? I keep a bunch <laughs> of junk in my car. Okay, so you don't have any kind of pet. See, when I lived in LA, there was like, there was a kit in the car, like makeup, like stuff no. always, mm-hmm. and there was always my car. You were going. I'm following you. There's never I'm leaving my car. If I'm oh, too right. drunk to drive or you're going to drive my car so that you always have gear. Yeah. Oh, I did used to keep a tiny straightening iron in my trunk. Okay, that is not gear. That is like <laughs> that is the saddest. But for me, then I'm like I can go anywhere now with my straightening iron. Yeah, because now I'm not going to have to go home and pack my full-size trunk. Yeah. I smell like a befouled hog farm but my hair is straight honey you gotta like carry the things the washes and things certain items Ugh, we'll talk I'll okay. set you, up. you gotta keep it in the car all right yeah uh brian rich when i make a mistake in pen and scribble it out i have to completely black it out so no one can guess what my mistake was um that guy's a serial killer like i don't even know <laughs> like who's scribbling in pen and like crossing it when i cross out trying to when I have my Dateline Predator notes, I often have to – no. Like who is he writing that to? I have no idea. Just anyone. It just could be anyone. This People share their idiosyncrasies it's and called neuroses. Texting. It's called texting, dude. That way solving all problems. You're right. You're right. That's all like right. crazy. People who are like writing things and scared – no. It's a freak. S.K. Miller 8. I grit my teeth while walking down the stairs because I'm afraid if I – I'm afraid if I fall and – well, he's afraid he'll fall and bite his tongue off. Or if he falls, he will bite his tongue off. Then I suggest that he just travel with his wallet in his mouth <laughs> all the time. Because did you remember when you were little and they yes, taught that's what you, you did for if you ever met an epileptic thing. person, yeah. you were to take out your wallet and then they would that's bite on it. That's not just when you're little. My roommate's epileptic. That's, what they, told us. That's really? what they taught us to do like a month ago. So this has not evolved. No. It's still the wallet trick? If he starts having a seizure, you wedge your wallet in there. In 2013, it's still yeah. the wallet wedge? 100%. Man, no. Yeah. Okay, I feel outraged that there is Viagra, but there is not, but it's still the wallet wedge. That is insane. It's true. Right? Yeah. because there, there, there will come a time. There will come a time where people aren't even carrying wallets anymore. It'll all just be credit card. Then what do you throw in their mouth? I don't know, but like that filthy wallet, gross. Yeah. That's okay. Wow, that is fascinating. I am so, <laughs> I am fascinated that it's still wallet, well, still the wallet. All right. My oh. wallet wouldn't fit in anyone's mouth. I like a big lady wallet. With the whole thing for the checkbook? Yeah. In there, that size wallet? Yeah. I got stuff. Yeah. I like stuff. I like a thing. I, like to, I don't like to be without survivaling items. Mm-hmm. Is, okay, is your purse organized though? No, no, it's not. But I know what I know what's in there. Right. I know everything that's in there. There's nothing that doesn't need to be in there. It's just not in like a everything's in a like a pouch. Mm-hmm. No. But you're streamlined. That's good. Yeah. There's all sorts of crud in mine. Yeah. There's all sorts of. I'm just. I'm, I think I'm a person who doesn't throw things away enough. So there's just bits of paper and just stuff I don't need see, everywhere. See, I'm a big fan of taking pictures of everything. For example, like 
I don't travel with my health care card. Mm-hmm. Um, I have it on my phone. I, I, if I see a picture of a dry cleaner and I wanted to take my stuff there, I take a picture of the sign so I know where it is. Like I'm constantly it's good photographing. So my phone is full of my junk. I got my birth certificate in my phone. I have stuff in my phone. I've started when I park in a big confusing parking structure, I take a picture of where my car is. Yes, that too. Or write myself a little note. Like, yes, right. Get out of yes. the elevator. Go left. Go right. The car will be on the left. I felt like a real idiot when I did that last time, but I didn't didn't lose my car. No, there's nothing better. And as you get older, you will forget things, and you will be happy that you took that picture when you don't know where you're going. All right, thank yeah, you. All right, sure. here's one. I sent this one in, and I'm embarrassed about it, but it's just true. I have, I have a fear of accidentally buying cucumbers, which I hate, instead of zucchini, which I love. It's true. They look so much alike. I'm just curious if anyone else has this fear. I suspect they don't. No, I, you know, fear is strong. It's a strong, strong word. Uh, what are you using them for? Food? <laughs> yeah, for food. So I just like, what if I get home and I go to slice up a zucchini and lo and behold, it's a cucumber. I mean, my life will continue, but well, I just right. don't want I that mean, to happen. Fear is strong. Like if you like, I don't know what you think is I'm a ins- passionate person inside a cucumber uh, zucchini. That is going to paralyze you with fear. <laughs> like, oh, I bought a – oh, whoops. I Okay, what's a better way of putting it? I worry. I think – I stay up late at night thinking, oh, fuck, did I buy cucumber? That's super first-worldy. That's a super oh, this, first-world this problem. segment is super yeah, first-worldy. Yeah, yeah. But that's especially first-worldy. Okay. And well, I can't it's not believe- like I worry that I didn't buy organic. <laughs> yeah, I haven't prepared. As long as – yeah, I've got GMOs, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. So um, – yeah, I you know hopefully um you'll get past that. I feel like um I feel, I'm I hoping. feel like I already am. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Good. I think. Okay. Um, Ray Morgan third. Whenever I see ground ch- oh another grocery store one. ground chuck at the grocery store, I think it's some meat packer named Charles that met an untimely death. Hmm. Hmm. I don't. I don't. I'm not buying ground chuck. I'm not in the ground chuck department, for the most part. I don't even know. Yeah. I don't even know. Does it have a sticker on it that says ground chuck? I don't know how it I works. don't know. You know what? Here's the deal. Um, I like meat that says meat. Ribeye, steak. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got two words that don't indicate. It's it's ground, which says filler. It says filler. Yeah. Me. That's what it says. And then chuck, you know, he might be right. You know, I don't know. I just feel like say beef, say something. If it's ground, say pork, don't say chuck. Yeah. So I understand right. his fear. It kind of makes his, sense. He doesn't want euphemistic meat. No, that's correct. Anthony RC627. When I drink too much, I hold my pee just to get that finally feeling. Nope. Sad. Sad. That's just sad. That's just I, sad. But plus, I pretty much, oh, well, I was going to say I always experience that finally feeling, but that's not true. I've definitely had an unsatisfying pee that I think I did, I, I was premature. I didn't really need to go. You, you know, I just I just pee when I have to pee. I just I just don't want to be. There are so many commercials where apparently women all of a sudden are peeing their pants everywhere that I don't want to be that woman. Have you seen that commercial where there's all these women who are overweight dancing around, <laughs> and the product is for I don't know a diaper you wear so that you don't pee when you dance. Like I don't even know what the product is for, mm-hmm. but then they show this thing and they ring it out, and it's just upsetting. Like, it just feels like there's a lot of peeing problems. Yeah. Seeing when you pee. When there's peeing everywhere. 
Like yeah. puppies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So just pee. Pee when you have to. Right. I don't know if it's going to help anything when you're older, but I just advise peeing. That's- Ripped. Yeah. See, I... Okay, just sticking with pee for just a second. I... um. If I'm going, if I'm leaving, I will do the oh, I should pee before I go thing, and that's when I experience the oh, this was oh, I didn't need to, I was just emptying it all out. Zero happened. Like you sat on. Oh trail, no, no, that's happened? never. No, it's you can always get a little bit out. You know. Good. Well, you know what? Then then it was worth it. I agree. Yes. Okay. The septic gods are happy. Then this one is disgusting. Rip Taylor Hansen. When I enter a public toilet stall and see a floating turd in the bowl, instead of flushing it, I like to play sink the Bismarck. I appreciate the reference. Um, ugh. Well, as ladies, it's different for us. As a historian, <laughs> um, you know, okay. But um, I don't. I don't even know if he meant like the ship, the Bismarck. Yeah. Did he mean the donut? You know the right. Maybe the you know the term. Do you, did you call them Bismarcks when you were little? Mm-mm. They call they called in Minnesota a Bismarck was kind of a jelly filled. Um, what do you call a jelly filled long the long donut that was jelly filled? The jelly, like donut. a jelly donut, a long jelly. Donut. <laughs> yeah, long jelly donut. We called my mom called it a Bismarck. I would so much rather try to pee on that in a toilet than a floating turd. I think I'd be more weirded out if I saw just a weird <laughs> I hole. Would. But that is sad. That's intriguing though, because like what happened here? There's a jelly donut in, in the, toilet. the toilet. Yeah. Good point. I could actually really get behind what seeing different food items floating in a toilet hole. I think that there's something funny about that. I mean I might maybe not for too long, but Yeah. I try to, you know, I have to write this is sad, but I'll admit it. Um I <laughs> This is so embarrassing. Whenever I eat beets, I sent I put a calendar alert for eight hours <laughs> saying you ate beets, you don't have cancer. <laughs> so that I remember that I because I would panic because, you know, right. Beets, they cause a lot of problems. Like, you know, they change the color of the nature of things. So I now that I remind myself, I don't I don't have a moment of like scary panic. So I try to time it for like digestively eight hours after the fact and then I send myself an alert that says that is hilarious you have beets you ate beets you don't have cancer <laughs> I love that <laughs> do you ever decide and Gary this question's for you too do you ever have this thought you know what I'm not gonna eat asparagus now because I just don't feel like uh smelling it later no I love asparagus too much I do too but there have been times where I've thought mm, don't need it right now not wild about asparagus, so not an issue. Oh, not right. an issue. It's fine every now and then, but okay. Yeah, I like it so much that it it uh, outweighs the um, overwhelming funky pee mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. I'd say nine out of ten times I will go for it, but I just have noticed occasionally, like if there's just a tiny bit of asparagus in something where it's not even gonna, you're not going to appreciate the asparagus, but you're going to appreciate it later. But actually, Adam and I have talked about the fact. That um, I think that it changes the scent of your pee almost instantaneously. I agree. Yes. I, in fact, I offered to do the show from the toilet eating asparagus. No one took me up on it, which I think is sad. Do you think it's a missed opportunity? I think that I was trying to make great content. Practically the Discovery Channel. I know. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, they're just like, no, we're just going to do things the way we always do. Yeah. Have you in the studio, not, not timing your pee and eating asparagus. 
So well, that's what I'm up against. I mean, I guess for me, like, I've never walked into a bathroom and went, holy shit, who had a spa-? You know, I feel like it's not this lingering thing. I think you smell it when you pee mm-hmm. yourself and then you flush it and then it goes away. Am I wrong? I mean, no, have you ever walked right. into a bathroom and said, wow, somebody had asparagus, like somebody took a wicked asparagus pee? <laughs> no. Right? No, never. Right. That's so. That's why I think that you shouldn't let your momentary wallowing in your own fetid stench pee thing just to go away. It's flushed. It's done. Yeah. Move on. Not that I, I just, want to tell you how to live your life, but I'm just saying. Wow. All right. I'm going to make friends with asparagus. I'm yeah. never going to travel with my hair dryer. No. And you're going to have a kit. A kit in my car. A kit in the car. And there was what something else? else, though. Oh, and make decisions. There's people who hate chocolate. Oh, yeah. There's okay. things to remember. That's right. This has been really informative. For the listeners and People for me. don't expect when Liz Winstead comes on that it's informative, and yet everyone is scribbling notes. Right. Yes, I'm practically Dr. Phil. You are. It's, <laughs> this is arguably life-changing. I know. Thank I know. you. Yeah. Thank you so much sure. for coming on the show. It's amazing. This was Oprah. great. It was super fun. Um, I loved this. And are we closing out on asparagus pee, really? Really? That's what's happening? Pretty much, yeah. Well, we're going to let you plug anything you want to plug. Oh, all right. Uh, my book comes out in paperback uh, May 7th. How about that? Okay. There's a plug. And um, donate to your local Planned Parenthood if you haven't already. If you have sex and enjoy it and uh, you're not a millionaire, give money to Planned Parenthood. Those are the things that I'm plugging. And people can follow you on Twitter at Liz Winstead. Yes. And I have two Zs in my name because I'm kind of a jerk. <laughs> All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. Um, I love you guys, and I'll talk to you later. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go. Alison Rosen is your new best friend. That's right, that's right. Those good times don't seem to end. That's right, that's right. Alison Rosen is your new best friend.
Now that the show's over, don't forget to sign up for your free trial of Hulu Plus and start watching your favorite hit shows right now. Go to AllisonRosen.com and click on the Hulu Plus banner for your extended free trial or go to HuluPlus.com slash Allison. Again, click the Hulu Plus banner on AllisonRosen.com or go to HuluPlus.com slash Allison. This is Corolla Digital. 